Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Derek Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors here and just want to welcome you. If you are visiting, I was just thinking about this as we were sitting there. If I were in your shoes and I was visiting, one of my questions would be, what's their agenda? You know, what's the agenda of this church? And so I'm just going to tell you right up, we do have an agenda. And our agenda isn't to get you to do what we want you to do. Our agenda isn't to spread our own weird brand of theology. Uh, our, our agenda is that you will experience Jesus. You got one of these when you came in. Um, if not, you can go grab one off the back. But it says, you don't have to dress up, pretend to be perfect, or worry about your past. We just want you to experience Jesus. That's our agenda. Because when you meet with God, God does things in your life. We pray every week that the Holy Spirit will be present with us. Because when you meet with God, you can't leave unchanged. That's our agenda. Not that you look like us. Not that you change the way you behave so we all look the same. But that we experience God. And then we let God do what he wants to do in and through us. So uh, let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you do have an agenda. And your agenda is that we would experience abundant life in you. Uh, your agenda is to make us more and more like you, which, which leads to a great life here and eternal life with you. Your agenda is that then you spread that to the rest of the world through us as a church and as individuals. Uh, and we thank you. We, we thank you that we're not ignorant to your plans. We're not ignorant to who we are in you and who we are to you. Holy Spirit, I do ask again that you would be powerfully present with us here this morning. God, we all come in from different positions, different places. Some of us are in need. Uh, maybe it's financially. Some of us are in need with health. Uh, some of us are hurting in other ways. Some of us don't know you yet. And I ask, God, that you would do what you want to do in each of us individually and in and through us as a whole. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have three daughters and through the years, I've done a lot of coaching of soccer. Now, I wasn't a soccer player, but I am now because I've coached little girls soccer. And, and here's one of the things that I've learned as you're teaching young girls soccer is they come in from all different places. And the first thing, they have to learn which direction to go. You know, the, just how to play soccer. You're kicking that goal, not that goal. And at first, maybe if you watched it, it's like group soccer. Like all the kids are just like this. And so that's, a, and then over time you teach them positions. There's forward and, and defense and goalie. And so they start to learn the positions. And sometimes these girls come in and, and uh, as they start to learn, they're, they're insecure because the other girls know more than they do. They're not sure where they fit. M maybe they're not sure if they're even wanted on the team. But as time goes on, it's fun to watch some of those develop. And they learn the, the sport, they, they build relationships with their teammates, and by the end of the year, they love being there because they know where they fit. They actually believe the rest of the team wants them there, and they gain some confidence. I, I say that to say, do we ever feel like that spiritually? As, as in we're insecure, not sure where we fit, maybe not sure the point of the game, you know, what's the point of the church, where do I fit, do the other people actually want me around? We can feel that way spiritually, and we're looking at the book of Ephesians, so turn there. If you don't know where it is, use your table of contents. But Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus that had come out of 
of a, a very pagan culture. They were full of idolatry. Uh, they worshipped many spirits and gods, and they were very insecure all the time. They weren't sure, you know, which God was on their side and which spirit was coming against them. And did somebody hex them and they needed to go find a, um, a magician over here to, to release them by doing this whatever. I mean, that was their life. They were very insecure. They were very confused. And I think that's similar to the way we are in this country now. We're very confused spiritually as a whole, aren't we? Because we hear all these different things. We hear, you know, just do what makes you happy. But we hear all roads lead to heaven, so as long as you believe something, it doesn't matter. Yet, when you look at Christianity and then modern Judaism or Islam, and you start comparing all these, uh, these can't all be true. They don't line up. And so we can be very confused and insecure. Well, here in Ephesians, Paul is trying to bolster their security and their confidence in God, in Jesus, and in who they are in Him. We're looking at just the first 15 verses in Ephesians 1 this morning. But in these verses, he answers some of the deepest questions of humanity. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? And what's the purpose of it all? He answers all of that in just these verses. So uh, if you need to text anybody to tell them to come today, just go ahead and do that. They'll come in a little late. But, but this is the deep truths of life that every culture and every person forever has asked. This is why philosophy exists, to answer these questions. This is why all religions exist, to answer these questions. And here, Paul answers them in such a beautiful and helpful way. And so I, I want you to think about yourself. What if you understood God's ultimate plan, where we came from, where we're going, why we're here, and, and maybe started to get an idea of where you fit in it? Wouldn't that bolster your confidence? Amen. Wouldn't that get us excited just about living? Well, look at Ephesians. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, as I read through, notice some themes. Whenever it says in Christ or in Him or in the Beloved, that's really kind of a theme that runs through this. These are the blessings for those who are in Christ. Verse 4, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of of his glory. 
You see repeated in there, in him, in him, in the beloved. You also see repeated what this leads to. The first three chapters of Ephesians, it doesn't have any commands. These chapters aren't telling us what to do. Now, the second or the, the last three chapters, four through six, those are going to tell us what to do in light of what we now know. But these first three chapters are beautiful, deep truths about God, about us, about who we are in him and what he's doing. And then once we know these things, then it leads us to live differently. But you see through this, he's telling some, some deep truths about God and about us, which leads to a result. And the result you see repeated is that he is praised. At the very end, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So as we go through, we're going to see eight blessings that belong to every person that is in Christ. And this, this doesn't lead to us just knowing. This doesn't lead to us having big heads or, or now go do a certain thing. Here's what it leads to, praise. And so similar to last week, I would ask that this week, as you, as you learn these, as you take notes, as you underline in your Bible, let it lead your heart to praise. I mean, every, that's, every now and then somebody shouts out amen. I mean, that's kind of a response of praise. And when we sing these songs, we're singing praise to God because he's worthy because this is who he is. So look at these verses. We're looking at eight blessings that are ours in Christ. Last week, we looked at the first two. And here's the first one. You are chosen by God. We dug into this last week. So if you weren't here last week, go listen to the podcast because it, it is, again, amazing truths that will change your life. But we are chosen. And we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Chosen, meaning God looked forward. I mean, he planned it. He didn't just look forward in time and then plan his response to us. He looked forward and he planned you thought about you, thought about us, thought about us as a church, and he chose us in him. Then it also says that he predestined us. That is uh, verse 5, he predestined us. Now, a reminder, these 14 verses are one big, long, run-on sentence. They're not separated as ours separates it um, with periods. It isn't that way in the Greek, so it kind of all runs through. So it talks about us being predestined, uh, meaning predetermined, the boundaries set beforehand, predestined for what? Part of it is the end of verse 4, to be holy and blameless, meaning we were chosen to become like Jesus. That's what that means. We were chosen by God and set apart that we would be like Jesus. And that was our big thing last week as we looked at, at the, the truth that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be predestined. You were chosen by God to become like Jesus, and it's guaranteed to happen because he's going to work it out. It, it's not he, he's decided every little step we take in our life. That's not what predestination means. It means in the end, when Jesus returns, he's going to make us like him. And, and until then, we're in the process of becoming like him, but he will complete it. It's going to happen. But that leads to our next blessing that we didn't look at last week. We are predestined for something else. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You are adopted by God. This is one of those amazing ideas. God is not out there uh, separate. He didn't just create and then set earth loose, hoping it would work out. Uh, he didn't just make you and I and say, good luck. When he chooses us, he doesn't bring us in just as slaves. He adopts us as sons and daughters of the king. And we're not second-rate children. We're adopted. 
Maybe some of us in here have been adopted. Maybe some of us in here have adopted kids. And, and when it's done right, I mean, those kids that are adopted, they're truly yours, aren't they? Or, or you become truly the child of whoever adopted you, not second rate. That's the idea here. We are adopted personal. And when we're adopted, we're given a new name. The idea of, of Christian, that's Christ's name, Christian, Christian. We're given a new name, his name. We belong to him. You know, so often uh, people, when they come to know Christ and they start thinking of God as their father, they quickly associate God the father with their own father. Maybe you've experienced that. And how was your father? Maybe you're sitting next to him, so don't answer. <laughs> but, but the problem with that is we earthly fathers, we're not perfect. You know, and, and maybe you've gone to sports games and you see the fathers at sports games and you see the kid out there working, you know, and doing, and they do something and then they turn to look at dad, like drop the bat and run to first. You know, th they're looking for this approval. And, and that's not all a bad thing. That's natural in kids. But sometimes kids grow believing that they need to achieve for, for dad to love them. Or the better they do, the more they get from, from dad. And we get messed up with our view of God. God is the perfect father. Perfect and intimate. You know, not this grudging, you know, grumpy dad who's distant. He is an intimate, loving father, wants to scoop us up in his arms. So personal. That's the picture here, that we were chosen beforehand, predestined. God planned that he would adopt us, that he would give us his name. The idea of this is of belonging. Uh, Paul was talking about it sometime in the last couple of weeks about, you know, calling each other brother and sister and how kind of that can be somewhat weird. But yet it's, it's true. If we're adopted, we're brought into God's family, we are brothers and sisters in Him. We become a family. God's ultimate design for you is not what you can do for Him, but you. Isn't that kind of cool? You know, most religions are all about, every religion actually, other than true biblical Christianity, is all about what you need to do to get to God. True biblical Christianity is the only faith where it's that God just wants you. I mean, look at the great commandments in Scripture. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said eternal life is that you know the Father in Jesus Christ whom He has sent. It's all about this relationship. Clinton Arnold gave this quote. He says, The final purpose of election is then relational. God is bringing together a people for whom He can delight in and enjoy. This is one of the themes you see, especially in the first three chapters of Ephesians, that he wants to delight in and enjoy us. That's what it says at the end of verse 5 when it says he does this, he predestines, he adopts us according to the purpose of his will. Some of your translations say according to his great pleasure. That's actually what that means, that he chose to and he enjoyed his choosing of you and me to be in relationship with him. But when we are saved, something happens. These verses talk about what happens to us in Christ. We're not just sinners saved by grace. Maybe you've heard that. We're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. We are, but we're actually more than that. Because we are saved and we're adopted, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. Something more than just getting your ticket to heaven happens when you're saved. Something more happens than just fire insurance. We're not the same as everybody else. Now, this isn't to, to puff us up, to make us proud, to put us on a different plane. That's not it at all. But something happens. A change takes place. And here's number four. You are redeemed. 
by Jesus. We're going to see what happens to, to gain this change and what happens in this change, but that's the fourth one. You are redeemed by Jesus. Look at verse 7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The key word there in verse 7 is grace. What is grace? That's another theme in Ephesians, grace. Grace is the giving of what's not deserved. Mercy is the withholding of what is deserved. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. We deserve what Jesus got on the cross. But mercy is we're not going to get that. Grace is He's going to give us things we didn't earn. That's what grace means. And here it says, according to the riches of His grace. So it's not like God just gives us a few things that we don't deserve. All these blessings He pours out on us and we don't deserve them. But here's that, that number four on there is you are redeemed by Jesus. Re redeemed means set free. It means liberated. Uh, the best picture we have prior to this is when God set the Israelites free from Egypt. Remember, they were in Egypt for 400 years. They were enslaved. God sent Moses to to you know, do the miracles, do the signs, to then finally lead them out. And so all these Israelites who were slaves were redeemed, they were saved, they were brought out of Egypt and on the way to the promised land. That's what it means to be redeemed. Uh, the picture in the first century, uh, this is the Roman world, slavery was very prevalent, but slavery then wasn't like slavery that we know in our American history. It wasn't like that at all. But slavery, they, you could sell slaves. Uh, if you had too much debt, you could actually sell yourself into slavery. Uh, a lot of times, slaves were, were really members of the family. Uh, it wasn't as bad a thing as we might think of it. But here, the, the picture is of slavery and is uh, us on, on the auction block, basically. And Jesus comes, and he looks at us up, up on the auction block, and he says, I want that one. Yeah, not just kind of this general, I'm just going to save him. He, he actually walks up, and he says, I choose that one. The auction, here's the picture I see. The auctioneer looks at that one and goes, why? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? There's not much redeeming about this one. Look at all these other ones. He says, nope, I chose that one. What are you going to pay? My blood. <laughs> yeah, that's, what are you going to pay? What's it going to cost? It's going to cost my, I'll give my life for that one, which really doesn't have all those redeeming qualities, but he didn't choose us because we have redeeming qualities. He chose us because he wanted to. He chose you because He loves you. And then, hopefully we gain some redeeming qualities in Him as He changes us to be holy and blameless in Him to make us more like Him. But anything redeeming about us is because of Him. So He redeems us. He purchases us to be in relationship with Him. And that leads to the fifth one. You see it there. You are forgiven by God. We see so much about our identity in here. So many Christians are so insecure about who they are. They're afraid of sinning. They're afraid of God's judgment. But yet, whenever we baptize people here, you probably hear me ask it almost every time, how many of your sins is God going to bring up in the end? Zero. Zero. When I baptized our youngest daughter, Elise, a couple weeks ago, she said, around 100. <laughs> she heard the question wrong, but, but that kind of, you know, that's how we often think, you know, how many is he going to bring up? Zero. We are completely forgiven. Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. I, I mean, 
I've struggled with sin in my Christian life. Maybe, show of hands, anybody else struggled with sin in their Christian life? Here's what's awesome about this. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Now, in the book of Romans, you start hearing that and it leads maybe to the idea that, well, then I'm just going to go sin. Well, then no big deal. And in Romans 6, he says, you know, because of all this, should we continue to sin? Heck no. No. I, I mean, that's what he says in, in Romans, same author, Paul. But here's the security. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven, completely forgiven, not just kind of forgiven. You know, it's not like, like maybe in marriage or other relationships where you, you bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking out. Great Garth Brooks song. God doesn't do that. You know, God burns the hatchet and then gets rid of the metal. Some, he, as far as the east is from the west, the psalmist writes, so our sins are from our relationship with God. He won't bring them up. We are completely forgiven. You see how this gives confidence? You see why Paul is writing this? Because these new Christians have come out of a pagan lifestyle where they're trying to earn their way with, with this spirit and appease that spirit. And constantly, what do we have to do next? And here, Paul wants them to know you are forgiven, done. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished as he died, meaning it's done. I mean, what can you do to earn anything? Not, absolutely nothing. He did it all. We are forgiven, completely forgiven. But again, our forgiveness, our redemption is not free. It cost him his blood. It cost him his life. That's one of the themes throughout the Bible. In Hebrews, it writes, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven and it's free to us, but it's not free. It had to be bought. It had to be earned. This pattern was, was began in the garden. If you remember your story from Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the first humans, uh, they were made in God's image. They were made sinless, by the way, but they had the option to sin uh, because we need that option. Otherwise, love isn't true love if we're just robots. And we decided last week we're not robots. And so they sinned. They chose to eat from the tree. And because of that, we call that the fall. Sin entered the world. And they were cursed because of it, and they had to be. And what happened was, before that, their relationship with God was so tight that he would come and walk through the garden with them. How cool would that be? He would walk through the garden, walk and talk with Adam and Eve. I mean, a face-to-face -face relationship with God. Sin broke that. So they sinned, and they knew it immediately, and they ran and hid in the woods and picked you know, leaves and covered themselves with their leaves. God comes walking through the garden, and he says, Adam, Eve, where are you? as if he didn't know, <laughs> you know, and they're hiding in the bushes. He's like, come out here. And they come out, you know, they're like, why are you covering yourself? Well, we were naked. Well, who told you you were naked? I mean, everything changed with the fall. And so they were covered with these leaves. So God took the first step dealing with them. He went and he took animal skins and made them clothes. God, the first animal death, God killed an animal made clothes, and covered their sins. That's kind of the first picture. Their sin, God dealt with it by the shedding of blood. Then the sacrificial system all throughout Israel's history of a lamb, a goat, they would take these animals and they would sacrifice them as a covering for their sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And here, Jesus pays the ultimate price. You see in John Beautiful picture of John, John the Baptist. If you remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner 
uh, of Jesus, and he was there with his disciples. And here comes Jesus walking down the street one day. And John the Baptist looks up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, that, that picture, the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How can a lamb take away sin? It had to die. Jesus, with his blood, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that's why we can be forgiven. It's a big deal. Your forgiveness is very, very costly, but it costs you and me nothing. This is called the great exchange. This is also called the atonement, where Jesus covered our sins. And so God now looks at us and sees Christ because God looked at Christ and saw us when he was dying on the cross. But that's not it. Not only are we chosen, predestined to become like Jesus, we're going to end up in heaven. It's, we're going to get there. We, we're going to be fully sanctified someday. Not only are we guaranteed that, not only are we then adopted, given a new name, brought into his house, but now e even more happens. We're adopted and we're, and we're brought in, but picture a king, you know, ruling his kingdom and, and he adopts somebody and brings them in and he doesn't just give them like a cool room on the outskirts. He then brings them into that inner room where they plan what's going on in the kingdom. So we as his children then become part of the plan. And so in, in uh, verse 9 through 10 says, well, look at verse 8 again, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. This is our sixth blessing. You can understand the mystery of God's will. You can understand the mystery of God's will. This is, again, one of those deep questions we ask as people. Why are we here? What's the point of all this? Where is it going? What's the purpose? Guess what? We don't have to ask that question. We know. We know this mystery. Now, a mystery in the New Testament is something that was not previously known that has been revealed. It's something that cannot be known unless God reveals it. And here it has been revealed. We understand the mystery of his will, which is what? Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's his plan. That's where we're going. That's why we're here. Jesus is about uniting all things in him, in heaven and on earth. The idea here is of reconciliation. At the fall, things were broken. That's what we see in the scripture from the beginning. We, things were made perfect. You know, God created everything perfect. He created man and woman. He said, this is good. The only time he said it's very, very good is when he created the woman. He said, this is very good. It's true. Read it. Um, <laughs> and then we messed it up. Then we messed it up and, and it broke, not just us, but we were broken. Our hearts were broken. Our spirits were broken. We were separated from God immediately. Death entered, meaning spiritual death leading to physical death. But the earth was cursed. We got goat heads. We got mosquitoes, I'm sure. Yeah, but the earth was cursed. You know, before Adam worked, you know, they worked in the garden, but it was a, a joyful work. You know, they tended the garden, it produced the fruit. After this, he said, with sweat, you're going to toil. 
It's not going to be as easy. I'm going to send all these weeds. I'm going to put you in the Nevada desert where nothing grows. I mean, that's, that's, it's going to be hard for you. you know, and here's the other part. Ladies, your desire is going to be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. So, so he predicted the feminist movement, basically. Um, <laughs> But, but women, you're going to want to be in control, but I've said it that the husband is to be the head and it's going to be all messed up. And by the way, husbands, you're going to do horrible at it. And I mean, this is, it's all broken. It's broken. His plan is to unite all things in Christ, to reconcile it all. Look at this. I mean, this is the hope. The hope that we have in Christ is that it's all going to come back together, heaven and earth. I mean, Jesus right now, he's not on the cross anymore. He's risen. And he has a body right now, a risen body just like ours that you can touch. That can, where is that body? Well, it's currently with God at the right hand of the Father. We're going to see this next week, which is kind of cool. But he's in heaven now physically. I don't get it. But he's going to unite it, meaning heaven and earth are going to collide. Really, what he's going to do, he's going to burn this one up because you messed it up. Uh, but he's going to burn this. We all messed it up. He's going he's gonna to cleanse this one with fire, and he's going to make a new earth, and heaven and earth are going to come together, united in Christ. Jesus is going to come on his throne. It's going to rule. That's the purpose of it all, this idea of reconciling, uniting everything in Christ. So what's the point? The point is that God is Lord of all, that Jesus is Lord, and we're reconciling. And so Part of this, as we read through Scripture, our purpose here is to be part of that reconciliation, to help others be reconciled in their relationships with one another, to help us be reconciled as a church, brothers and sisters. I mean, how many times have you seen problems in churches? Because we're still human. But God wants to reconcile us together, reconcile us to Him, and this is part of His process, which is guaranteed to complete in a positive way. It's going to happen. Again, as you see here, the idea of predestination is, again, not that he has decided exactly every piece of our life. It's not determinism, but he's predestined. We're going to arrive where he wants us to arrive. We're going to get there. And that leads to number seven. You will receive an inheritance because of Jesus. You will Verse 11, in him, again, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Who's in control of all this? Him. He's making that really clear. His power, his will. He's doing it. In him, we have obtained. What tense is that? In him, we will obtain. Past tense, done. In him we have obtained an inheritance. When did he choose us? Once we started being good? Before the beginning of time. I mean, all of this is, is kind of, again, it's predetermined. It's done. Because he died, Scripture actually talks about, really, from the beginning of time. This was his plan. God had a plan, and it wasn't like, you know, Jesus came and they killed him. He's like, oh, no, what do I do now? This was his plan from the beginning of time. And so we will receive our inheritance, and it's guaranteed past tense already. All right, bear with me. Here's this picture that I get. It's a horrible picture, so, but every analogy is. Zip lines. Zip lines are pretty awesome. Zip lines are a lot of fun. 
uh, I've tried to build them through the years. And, and the ones I've always built, though, you hold on to. Some of you have fallen off it. Some of you have been on it. Uh, um, but handlebars, you hold on to the zip line, and you jump off, and you slide to the end. Tons of fun. But what do you have to do? You have to hold on. And you're not guaranteed to make it to the other end. In fact, we saw that repeatedly when people did not hold on tight, and they'd fall off. So a lot of times, though, we view our Christian life as, as that. It's this adventure, but we have to hold on. It's up to us to do our best. Now, our son, Brendan, who just went back to college, he had a job this summer up in Heavenly of leading zipline tours. And if you haven't done it, you should go do it. It's really cool. But you're all harnessed up, and, and you get, and you, they hook you to the zipline, and there's a little thing for you to hold on to, but you can let go because you're strapped on. That's kind of the picture is, you know, you get up there, they strap you in, they strap you to the zipline. You still have to jump off the platform. You know, you still have to go off and slide. And there's rules like, don't go upside down, but you can. Because you're strapped on. <laughs> don't tell him I said that. <laughs> but, but that's kind of the idea here of, of this picture of our inheritance. It's that platform on the end, and you're going to land on We're going to land there. Why? Because we're strapped in. Now, we can mess up and flop around all the way down, but we're going to get there. Even if you don't quite make it and the guide has to you know, go out there and grab you and pull you in, you're going to get there. It's guaranteed. You're not going to come loose from, from this harness. You're harnessed in. That's kind of this picture. But there's still the adventure of ziplining. The, and that's this life. This life is an adventure. We step off. We take risks. We do things, hopefully, in wisdom for his glory. But we're guaranteed our inheritance in the end. We're going to get there. And it is secured, and this is your, your last blessing, eight, your future is secured by the Holy Spirit. Secured. In him, verse 13, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Your future is secured by the Holy Spirit. That idea is of a seal, a mark of ownership. Uh, in the first century, they would seal, they would mark things. Uh, th the best picture I think I can think of now is branding cattle. You know, there's still cattle rustling in Texas. I don't know if you knew that. And, and the best way, I was reading about it, the best way to secure ownership and guarantee is to, to brand your calves. Because if one comes unbranded, anybody can take it. But, but you brand it. That's the picture here. God brands us and seals us as his own with the Holy Spirit. Again, when we're saved, something happens. A change takes place, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. This is why we are confident that we cannot lose our salvation. The Bible does not teach that we can lose our salvation. The Bible teaches we are secure because we can't lose it because we didn't earn it. If we can lose it based on our works... That means we can gain it because of our works. The Bible teaches it's all about grace, not about our works. And here, Paul shares this truth in that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee that is a down payment. That's what that means, a down payment of our inheritance. Kind of like, you know, you're going to go buy a car, you're going to go buy something. You know, they used to do layaway. And you could go in and you're like, I want to buy that. I don't have all the money yet, but here's 20% down and I'll be back later to get it. And, and they secure it. They take it off the shelf. That's the picture. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal, a down payment, guaranteeing our salvation. How insecure 
how insecure would we be if we think we can lose our salvation based on our works? We can't. You can't. That's his point. Be secure. Again, who is he teaching? Who is he writing to? These Ephesians that come out of this pagan culture. And he wants them to know God is God above all and he's, he's done it for you. It's all worked out, so trust him. And then walk through this life, this adventure with security. And then if you're in here and you have not given your life to Jesus, this, this one is for you. Verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, were sealed. If you haven't been sealed with the Holy Spirit yet, it's because maybe you haven't believed. But guess what? Maybe you haven't heard. Well, here's the gospel. You're a sinner. There's nothing you can do about it. Jesus came, died on the cross, on the cross, perfect, God in flesh. He died, took your sins. He was buried, three days later, rose from the dead. And by believing in him, you can have salvation. You've heard. Will you believe? If you choose to believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. You're sealed. And you can do that while we close in worship. There's going to be people back there ready to pray with you. You can give your life to Christ today. But here's your last note. What's the result of all this? This blessing leads the Jesus follower to praise God. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, which is when Jesus comes back or we die to go be with him, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. We know the deepest questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? Isn't that awesome? What's that lead us to? Praise him because it's not about us. It's about him and we get to just praise. There is so much freedom in life with Christ. We get to just praise him and enjoy him and be secure in what he has done for us. So as we close, we're going to worship. Uh, we're not doing communion today, but this is our time to respond. So respond by our prayer walls. You can come up here. You can write a prayer, write a thanksgiving to God and, and stick it in there. We'll pray for that. Uh, if you don't really want anybody to pray for you, don't put your name on it. Uh, I mean, we'll pray for you, but if you don't want us to know, it's you. <laughs> Stick it in there. Uh, we have people available in the back to pray with you. If this life sounds awesome to you and you're not sure you have it, come pray with us. Today is the day of salvation. Christ died for you and he's calling you to be part of his family. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. I thank you for this security. God, I look at my life um, <laughs> of coming to know you at a young age and then making some really stupid choices um, of being selfish, of walking in sin. But God, it's not up to me. And I thank you that you don't remember our sins. I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that we would internalize these truths about who you are and who we are in you. And God, that you would bolster our confidence, that we would be secure in you. But God, I also ask that we wouldn't just sit here secure in you, but God, that we would be changed. It says here in these verses that we were chosen to be holy and blameless, which is guaranteed to happen because when you come back, you're going to give us new bodies and we will be perfect in you. But God, until then, I pray that we wouldn't just be okay with our sin that we wouldn't just be okay with, with an apathetic Christian life, but God, that we would become passionate about you, passionate about becoming more like you, that we would be angered by our own sin, not condemned by it, not guilty with it, but that we would hate it like you hate it, and we would turn to you and let you fill us 
We would abide in you and let you live in and through us. Thank you. We now praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.